You're listening to the Pharmacy Podcast Network. Hello, and welcome to Pharmacists United for Truth and Transparency, the podcast. PUT is a not-for-profit industry watchdog organization dedicated to exposing the truth about the shady, abusive practices of pharmacy benefit managers and how they affect American patients, healthcare providers, and taxpayers. On the podcast, we'll talk to pharmacy industry experts, influencers, and patients, always with the goal of bringing the truth, transparency, and solutions to America's prescription drug affordability crisis. Hi, everybody. Welcome to the podcast. My name is Monique Whitney, and I am the Executive Director of Pharmacists United for Truth and Transparency. We are very excited to be talking today with a group of people about a report that came out in Florida very recently. So I'd love to welcome our guests to our show. First, we have Kevin Duane, who owns Panama Pharmacy in Jacksonville, Florida. Hello, Kevin. Hey, Monique. Thanks for having me on. So glad you're here. Thanks for being here. And we also have Jay Wright, who owns Five Points Pharmacy in Cocoa, Florida. Hi, Jay. Hey, how's it going? Good, good. Welcome to the podcast. So glad to have you. And then I'm also very excited to introduce one of our Hut board members, Amy Rogers, who's the pharmacy manager for City Pharmacy and Marketplace Pharmacy in Little Rock, Arkansas. Welcome, Amy. Hey, I'm so excited to be here. Thanks for having me. Well, this is going to be a lot of fun. Uh, This report, as I said, came out just recently in Florida. It's the latest report by three access advisors who've been instrumental in helping to shed light on what goes on in the pharmacy supply chain. Before we talk about the report, one of the things that I would love to know, I think is on the minds of many people out there, is what has it been like in Florida to be an independent pharmacy owner and and to work with this population? Because I think when we think about Florida, there are certain images uh, the rest of us have about who lives in Florida, the kind of patients that are there. Kevin, I'd love to get your view on that. Sure. So it's been increasingly difficult. I I graduated from pharmacy school in 2013 and I've been working in pharmacy since 2009 and the climate, the climate in the past maybe four years has just been incredibly damaging to what we're able to do simply because uh, independent pharmacy has just been squeezed very, very hard uh, by third parties um, and, and it's just, it's been difficult to run a business. Yeah, yeah. I think I think you have seen what a lot of the rest of the country has seen, a lot of the other pharmacies out there and your patients have seen in terms of uh, low reimbursements and fees and just, just excessive, I would call it, abuse on the part of the pharmacy benefit managers and the health plans out there. Is that right? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we, we've seen reimbursements really, really ratchet down. You know, we're at a time where people want to talk about generic deflation and it's like, well, we've been seeing, you know, deflation on our payments with brands, generics, you name it. Um, so it's been very difficult because of the PBMs for us to be able to really put together a productive uh, day in the office, so to speak. Yeah. Yeah. Jay, I'm curious, what are you, what are your thoughts? How's it been over there in Coco? Um, I, I would say it's been very difficult. You know, when you think of how you would traditionally run a business, 
you know, you have your location, which is very important. And then you try to sell stuff to the people near that location. And I found that it, it's essentially the opposite now because, you know, a Medicaid managed care network can be restricted. So you have all of the people that, you know, you're trying to provide medications to, you're trying to help them provide a quality service. All of a sudden, you know, they can't come to your business. And then you have to try and sort of find these other ways to stay afloat while also sort of trying to fight and create change legislatively, you know, with the PBMs. Um, it, it's been very, very difficult. Yeah. And I've been there and I, I've talked with both of you and I've talked with other pharmacy owners out there about the struggles that seem to be unique to Florida and in particular, the impact on the patients out there. So I think that's what makes this report so compelling. We waited quite a while for this report. Uh, Kevin, tell us a little bit about it, this Florida Medicaid Pharmacy Claims Analysis. Sure. So this is something that uh, Jay and myself and everyone with the Small Business Pharmacies Align for Reform, SPAR, uh, have been working toward for quite some months now. And basically... The report is kind of a frustrating and refreshing thing, as funny as that sounds. It, it, it's refreshing in that we're finally able to show, you know, hey, this isn't just a bunch of pharmacy owners getting together and whining. Like, this is really what's happening. Uh, but but it's frustrating, too, because, again, we've been telling everyone, you know, that these abuses by PBMs have been going on. Uh, and it's been going on uh, evidently by the report for at least the entire amount that this report spans, you know, a five-year period, um, we've just been battered by the PBMs with, with no uh, relief in sight. Amy, I think you, you have a question, right? Yeah, I do. So in Florida, did you guys transition to MCOs? Did you go from traditional Medicaid and then slowly they, they transitioned um, different sections of the population to MCOs, or did they just do it all at once? It was mostly all at once. Um, there was a, just sorry, this is Jay. There was a pilot program, um, but then after that was done, it was everything at once. And I believe that was 2014, Kevin? Uh, yeah, that's that right. And actually our county and Duval County was one of the uh, pilot sites. So we, I saw MCOs, you know, fresh out of school um, before they went widespread in the state. And it was apparent very quickly that um, necessarily if you purport to save money uh, on a service, you're going to have to cut spending somewhere. And it seemed like to us almost immediately the pharmacy spend was what was really cut to the bone um, as far as the managed care package went. So it was a case of you have these costs that need to be contained. State of Florida thought that managed care, turning to managed care organizations or MCOs would be a good way to try to help contain the costs. But in the end, what happens with managed care is you do have a capitated cost, but somewhere between what the, the government or the end commercial insurance payer pays for that insurance, somewhere between that and what the providers are getting reimbursed, there's money going somewhere and it's not going to the pharmacies. It's not going to the doctors. So when you're talking about pharmacy spend, you're, you're really talking about 
uh, how much is being allocated to the pharmacies, or are you talking about just in in general the the spend? I, I think that's I I think that's part of the problem. Really, is that one of the things that the report shows is when the entity, the the MCO or the PBM, um, has also the the end. Uh, results of the healthcare system, like the the retail pharmacy and the PBM are aligned, for example, Um, it creates like a perverse incentive to say, you know, we can set up our own winners and losers. And what better way to set up winners and losers if you're a PBM uh, than to favor your own pharmacy supply chain versus your competitor's pharmacy supply chain. Um, And I think that to say that you can save the state money, but also let yourself be the decider of who gets how much of that money. I don't think those two things can coexist. And we've seen in, in, in this report that they, that they can't coexist. Right. Absolutely. In fact, it's interesting that you say that because this report, if I understand correctly, it was originally commissioned to examine spread pricing in Florida. We've seen spread pricing in several other States and it, it's been shocking. It's been staggering. As much as 300 million in New York, the spread pricing in in Virginia was at 72 million, but their volume of prescriptions is lower than other parts of the country, and in some ways is actually a worse case of spread pricing than other places. This report didn't so much talk about spread pricing, which was a bit of a surprise, but it, it did uncover several other interesting finds. I guess you would say it was. Uh, what were your thoughts about that? Yeah, so I think that um, I think that initially Three Axis looked at the spread, and they did find spread. I mean, I think that's important to note that for almost a year, one of the MCOs was ha- had a spread um, which was modest compared to the spread that we've seen in some of the other states. But at the same time, the spread alone was more than three times what the average uh, profit above uh, acquisition was for unaffiliated pharmacies. So we can say, oh, the spread wasn't that bad, but actually the spread, as in what the PBM was making for absolutely no reason, they don't carry the drug, they don't dispense the drug, they don't prescribe the drug, they're actually making three times as much money as what an actual unaffiliated pharmacy would make through the MCO program. Um, so, I mean, that in itself is damning that we consider spread to be not uh, a huge part of this report, and yet it's still uh, three times what a pharmacy would actually earn for their hard-earned work and service. Um, but yeah, I think that once they started digging, they found things that were just unheard of or otherwise completely before this point never proved to the extent that it was proved. Jay? Yeah, I think I, I, yeah, that's essentially it. You know, I think, um, you know, when I first started talking with Eric Pacman and we were discussing this, um, you know, the idea was that there's probably spread pricing going on in Florida, like they found in other states. Um, but as we sort of, you know, they started looking through the information and I think because it was such a large data set, you know, there's, there was just so much other things going on there. Um, the traditional spread pricing, that wasn't happening, at least more recently. You know, I think, what, 2017, 
maybe was the last year and then 2018 on there was none. Um, so that could have been going on, you know, prior years, depending on how far back you want to go. But, you know, just the amount of information that we were able to, to gather, um, it, it sort of opened up opportunities to, to look at, I don't know, just many other aspects of how the flow of money and the flow of medications and, you know, who they're going to, where they're going to, um, to try and sort of piece this puzzle together. And, you know, I think we're still kind of finding different things within this uh, information that, that help our cause. Yeah. And I think too, 360 million claims were examined. So the granular level of detail that this report into, it, it really can't be overstated. Uh, you can narrow and this report has in some cases narrowed down payment disparities to a city block where you can see one pharmacy receiving $350 and the pharmacy that shares a parking lot with the first pharmacy receiving $15 i mean that 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 happens you know with alarming regularity um in this data and um, so, so I really think that above all, even after we talk about a lot of the things that's included in this 200 plus page report, I think that we've only scratched the surface of what this data set has allowed us to see. I think that we're already looking at things. Uh, today, I looked at some things from this report that I think have implications that we probably haven't even uh, thought about yet. So this is a great first step, but it is just that a first step because there's a whole lot of data in here that we're going to have to pour over. And, you know, since you brought up the data, Jay, you were instrumental in this, in this, if it wasn't for you, you could make the case, we wouldn't have this report. And I, I was wondering about how you came to get the data, what data you asked, just really anything you can tell us about how you came across this information. Sure. It's, it was really over the course of several years, you know, after, uh, you know, Dawn Butterfield, she showed me how to make a, a Freedom of Information Act request. And I thought that was pretty interesting. And, you know, we also sort of run into these barriers when we would, we would go talk to legislators. You know, we're, we're trying to explain this sort of abstract process of like what a PBM is. Then you've got managed care organizations, retail chain pharmacies and how everything is flowing. And then you, you sort of try and bring in these concepts of spread pricing, steering, and it was, you know, we really didn't have any proof. There wasn't something I could give that shows like, look, you know, for certain this is going on. You know, we kind of had to just say, well, if you look at the situation, this is what's happening. Um, so with that in mind, I, I just, I really thought it would be interesting. And because most of the, the large managed care companies, PBMs, they're publicly traded companies. I thought there should be a way to somehow gather publicly available information and perform essentially an audit to sort of prove what we were saying was actually going on. And I just kind of kept making requests. You know, it seems very obvious now when you think about, oh, you just requested every claim. I mean, it, it seems just so clear, but it really wasn't, you know, several years ago and leading up to this, you know, I, I started just making aggregate requests, you know, like tell me how many prescriptions the state of Florida Medicaid filled this year and how much money was paid. And I said, okay, well, tell me, you know, what were the number of prescriptions filled at uh, CVS, a Walgreens, a 
Walmart, a Publix. Um, and then I would say like, okay, well tell me that and then tell me how much money was paid. And there was one of those requests um, that really sort of sparked my interest. It was, you know, these aggregate numbers. And when I divided out, you know, the number of prescriptions, which included, you know, original prescriptions and refills. So it was basically the number of fills and the amount of money the state paid. Um, it was interesting because per prescription, CVS was, you know, they were less than half of everyone else. And I thought, well, that's weird. You know, that just doesn't really make sense. They're, they're just taking less than half. I mean, it's not even cheaper. It was half of, you know, everyone else. And that sort of made me think, well, maybe there's more going on here. There really is something to this. And then I kept just digging and asking. And eventually I, you know, I asked for, well, can you send me the information for my pharmacy? And when I looked at that, I, I tried to break it down and match it up because I was looking for spread. Essentially, that's what I was doing. I was trying to find spread, you know, with my pharmacy. And I really didn't find any, but what I found was the, the aggregate numbers for fee-for-service in terms of number of prescriptions and then amount of money paid, it matched up perfectly. And then when I looked at the managed care, it didn't, it was sort of all over the place. And, you know, then I broke it down by managed care, you know, entity. And it was just bizarre after I then broke it down by individual claims to my pharmacy. And some of them reported that they paid me more than they paid me. Some of them reported they paid me less. I mean, it was just inconsistent. Um, and I thought that was odd. So I just sort of kept making these requests and then, you know, sort of during this, this whole time I would talk to Eric Pacman every now and then and, you know, try and send him some stuff because I knew they were, you know, they were doing this stuff in other states. And, you know, eventually we got to the point where it was like, okay, well, I wonder if they can just send me every claim. And, you know, I made that request and, and they did. Um, it actually took twice. I think the first time I forgot to request the, the quantity dispensed. And I remember sending it to Eric Pacman and he wrote back, he said, oh man, he's like, you're not going to like this. He's like, there's no quantity on here. He's like, we got to have that number. <laughs> oh my gosh. That's, that's awesome. Jay. So if I understand then what you're saying is this was, this really was the culmination of lots and lots of different types of requests. I'm curious, what was the point where you thought, or, or was there a point where you thought something is seriously off? We've got to, we've got to get this looked into it, it was really that time when when the numbers didn't match and i was looking at my pharmacy that was really when i thought wow that well that time and whenever cvs was paid less than half um i remember eric pacman he told me he's like well that you know he's like that's just an error somebody just typed that in wrong you know that's you know there's no way that's correct um and i thought well that's pretty weird but it it was really when i, I sort of looked at the number of claims and money paid for my pharmacy and how it, it was just how fee for service matched up so well in terms of the total number of prescriptions and the, the amount of money paid. And I, that made me think, okay, well, you know, the information is able to be gathered, you know, correctly and someone can record it and they can send it to me. Um, but the managed care stuff, you know, it didn't match up. And the other thing that I was difficult was when I was trying to match my claims up and, the information I would get from the state, you know, they, I would say, can you send, you know, this to me by year, managed care, 
blah, 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 and by prescription number. And they didn't have prescription number. You know, they had this ICN or internal control number. And so then when I would try and match the information up, it, it was difficult. And that made me think, huh, you know, I was like, this is harder. So it's, there's this layer here and the information is sort of scrubbed. It's, it's more difficult to find the answer. And that made me think that, well, maybe that's because somebody doesn't want you to find the answer. You know, it's, it's sort of obfuscated intentionally. Um, but really it was, it was just a slow process and, you know, it just kept asking questions. Which is brilliant. And I think so, so important to this process because it's, it is the questioning. It is the, the willingness to keep digging deeper and deeper that allows us to even get to a point where we can see the kind of information that you clearly uncovered, which is just marvelous. And we are so appreciative for your efforts and your patience in doing that. I, I, you know, Amy is in Arkansas and Amy, I'm curious, Arkansas really kicked this off for the nation. I mean, there'd been work going on, but you guys came out, you captured this in a big way back in 2018. And I'm just kind of curious how this compares to the efforts that you all made where you are this is so much bigger than than what we did the data set is just so much larger um that than what we looked at ours was you know 600 drugs or or something like that so this is just so much larger than that the thing that interests me more than anything else we know all of the bad things that they're doing the spread pricing and paying themselves more. But the thing, the most telling thing for the report in the report for me was the obvious, the blatant steering um, to CVS pharmacies for the MCO patients. And I kind of wonder, and, and maybe you guys know this answer, like in the report, it shows that there, that it was almost, <laughs> Like Walgreens and CVS sort of flip-flopped. Just Walgreens was filling the majority of the prescriptions, but when CVS became the PBM, all of those prescriptions went to CVS pharmacies. Why isn't Walgreens outraged by this report, or have they commented on it at all? I mean, they absolutely should be outraged because I think you can see one of the conclusions that Three Axis draws is that um, systematically Walgreens was beaten out of the Medicaid program. Their payments were slashed and slashed at the same time that CVS's payments to themselves were increased and increased. And as Walgreens's payments were slashed, I think they just made a business decision and said, well, we're not going to keep getting, you know, kicked around and they just exited the Medicaid space in this state. And I believe now Walgreens, as far as the larger chain or, or grocery pharmacies, big, you know, big box stores go, I think Walgreens is, is out of network in quite a few of these managed care plans. Uh, and it's probably a, a strict business decision that they thought, well, we're just going to take our ball and go home if this is how we're going to get treated. And perhaps uh, until this data came to light, they didn't, no one knew that at the same time that was happening to all of us, them included, uh, CVS was systematically ratcheting up payments to themselves. So that's, that's a very good point. I mean, if you're a big box, like a, like a Walgreens or, or um, 
we have a big grocery chain that's based in Florida here, Publix Pharmacy. You should be outraged because you can say that you use your pharmacy as a loss leader if you're a grocer, uh, or Walgreens can say that they have plenty of other prescriptions to help buoy themselves. Uh, but the point is, uh, I mean, there was a story about Walgreens, I think, out of Illinois, uh, where they closed some pharmacies in uh, poorer parts of town, and they specifically named Medicaid reimbursement as the issue. It's not a stretch to think that the same thing happened uh, in this state due to that. You know, if you're Publix, you can claim that you're a loss leader and you really just want people in the door to get bread, but uh, better than selling them bread is being able to sell them bread and their prescriptions at, at a reasonable fee for your service. Uh, so absolutely, they, they should be just as up in arms about this as all of us are. And it'll be interesting to see what response they have to this information as it starts to really sink in. I mean, I, I think one of my biggest takeaways here was the degree to which this whole vertical integration is absolutely, it's not working. And it's making a select group of people extremely wealthy while pushing out the very people and, and the groups that the system was meant to protect. Uh, there's a whole section here where, where they talk about, I think, it, I think it's CVS, but we talk about, you know, one pharmacy is doing the vast, vast majority of the dispensing of certain specialty drugs and, and how whole groups of patients are required to go to that pharmacy. And I think that is similar to what you were talking about earlier about the across the street uh, from the big box pharmacy, there's two other smaller pharmacies, but all the patients are required to go to, you know, the CVS. So. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, they showed that uh, for certain uh, drugs added up to filling less than 1% of all prescription for Medicaid prescriptions in the state. And yet those affiliated pharmacies were raking in over a quarter of all profit, not just specialty profit, but of all profit just because they're able to take for themselves, not just specific drugs, but they're able to hijack for themselves complete disease states through their use of uh, prior authorization and, and narrowing of networks. They're, they're able to, to really take with them entire disease state management programs for themselves and the profits that come with those drugs. So again, they've set themselves up to make the winners and losers uh, so they've stacked the deck and they're also the house and the house always wins, which means they're going to make themselves the winners of the drugs and disease states that are the most profitable and make us the losers of the drugs and disease states that are the least profitable. Which then sets up a system where the, the pharmacies that are able to somehow survive and stay in business to take care of their patients, it becomes almost like luck of the draw is what it sounds like. If you're, you're in the quite literally the right place at the right time. Yeah. And I think that, I, I, I think that the state would do well to immediately put an end to this practice because at some point, every big box or chain pharmacy has shareholders that they're beholden to. So, in these rural areas or poor areas when they decide that it's not a good business decision, just like we mentioned with Walgreens, you know, they'll just close those stores there and you'll have your poorest, your sickest Medicaid patients going uh, in, in a pharmacy desert with, with nowhere to fill their prescriptions. Uh, and meanwhile, uh, the, the, 
the community pharmacies, the local small business pharmacies that have been on, you know, those rural communities and those poorer parts of town for years and years and years end up getting squeezed by these same practices to the point where they go out of business. So the pharmacies that want to serve those patient populations are no longer able to because they go out of business. And then the pharmacies that don't want to serve those patient populations, like the big box stores, end up just closing those locations and then those patients end up with nowhere to go. So a bad situation just gets worse. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. So I'm curious what happens now. So the, the report is out. It really takes us to the next level. You know, something that we thought was going to start off as spread pricing has just uncovered evidence of other bad business practices that we have seen. We've talked about, uh, we've shared with our legislators. I'm curious uh, from both of your perspectives, uh, maybe Jay, you can start. What do you think will happen next or what what do you see as your next actions? Um, you know, outside of just trying to educate people on the report, you know, there's, this sort of goes back to another idea I had a couple of years ago when, you know, I know that I was working on this stuff, you know, all the time. It felt like almost a full-time job. You know, I'm reading, trying to come up with ideas. And I thought, you know, we need, we need a way to sort of crowdsource this, right? You know, my idea was I, I thought we needed some way to crowdsource a lawsuit because, you know, all the political and legal stuff, it, it was so complex and there were so many different avenues. I thought, well, we need a way to crowdsource this. Um, so to me, like one of the next things with this information is we need, you know, we want other people to look at this, you know, one to verify it and say, look, we're not, you know, trying to manipulate the numbers here. You know, we're not making it up. Other people can verify it. And then I think we want other people to start digging because there is so much information here. Um, so maybe that entails, you know, putting all of this information online where other people can access it. Um, or maybe just trying to get the information to investigative journalists um, who, you know, have expertise in making Freedom of Information Act requests and sort of doing this type of statistical analysis. Um, but I guess that would all sort of go back to trying to engage other people to help us, you know, push this information and prove that what we've been saying is happening is actually happening. And I think kind of to add on to what Jay said, um, we, we definitely need to keep digging into this. And, and that's our longer, medium and longer term goal. But I think short term, what we've been talking about today, PBMs and vertically integrated companies being able to pick the winners and losers, that's fine. Um, but a devil's advocate could say, okay, that's fine. But in the end, if they're saving the state money, they're saving the state money. So what does it matter? And I think you can say some of the abstract things, like I said, um, you know, poor and rural areas will lose pharmacies. You'll get pharmacy deserts in the area. And that's true. And that's less tangible than I think. The state needs to look at this very hard and very quickly because uh, they're the ones that, that are also losing at this game. When there are incentives um, for, um, for a PBM-owned pharmacy to fill prescriptions, um, for generic drugs instead of brand drugs that the state may get rebates for, um, the MCO or the PBM ends up pocketing that kind of new spread that we've not contemplated before. And 
in turn, the state gets less rebate. So the state is losing money. I think uh, the report states that could be as much as 30 to $50 million per year to this state and lost rebates. So there's a tremendous amount of money that's being left on the table um, because they're putting profits for themselves over the best incentive for uh, the state's best interest. And I think there are some other things in this report that the state should take a hard look at as well. Anytime you try to put profits over patient care, which is what is happening by these PBM-owned uh, pharmacies, the PBMs themselves, the, the vertically integrated companies, um, something like prior auths, for example, the Fl Florida has a terrible problem with, with the opioid ep epidemic. There, there's a, a very, very high rate of addiction and, and overdose death in this state. Um, and as a result, the legislature passed laws to prevent, you know, certain day supplies of opioids being administered to patients, uh, long-acting opioids versus short-acting opioids, things that are no-nonsense approaches to try and get a handle on uh, the large amount of opiates that circulate within Florida. Um, and when you have a PBM-owned pharmacy or a PBM or a managed care vertically integrated company that says, well, wait a minute, prior auths cost us a lot of money. Uh, we have to spend millions of dollars on prior auths hey, I know what we'll do. We just won't do any prior auths. We'll just turn that off. Uh, and, and, and I think that you'll see there the state should be very concerned with a, a company that puts profits over patient care. And the result can be something as insidious as managed care Medicaid patients receiving more opioid exposure uh, than fee-for-service Medicaid patients do. And that's something where you're saying, well, wait a minute, to, to Jay's point about a lawsuit or something like that, are these companies responsible for the deaths of Floridians specifically because they were asleep at the wheel when it came to certain pre-edits or other prior authorizations that had to do uh, with, with the opioid epidemic? The data seems to show that managed care patients uh, have higher exposures uh, on a morphine milligram equivalent basis than fee-for-service do. Now, I'm not uh, trying to insinuate or, 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 state that, that that may be the cause, but it's certainly something, these kind of unintended consequences or other kind of um, data points that we found that we didn't expect to find are certainly something that the state should be compelled for the health of all of Floridians uh, to take a better look at. Yeah, you would think so. And, and as you're saying that, I'm reminded of the New York Times article that came out that exposed the production behind the scenes in especially in these larger pharmacies where there's a greater demand being put on pharmacists to fill more prescriptions with less help and fewer resources and the squeeze is quite potentially putting patients at risk so you're looking at now a case where because profits have been put over patients for so long that the public is now quite literally in danger in some cases because we don't know what the conditions are behind the counter and and, and it's difficult to talk about that I, there's a, a fabulous blog by the pharmacist anonymous uh, who talks about the conditions and trying to raise awareness of of how managed care and the the, the profit drive has caused a complete lack of alignment with the true priority for healthcare. I think when you talk about the opioid risk, especially in Florida, which has been well documented, that's just the that's just the next layer of a of an issue which the state and really everybody should be concerned about. So, Amy, I have a question for you. You coming from Arkansas, where you all have 
been the the leader what advice do you have for for kevin and jay or for any of the other pharmacists or groups out there that are looking to try to move the needle with regard to pbm bad business practices abuse patient steering any of the things that have been happening that are so well documented unfortunately at this point um i think that for for anyone involved in pharmacy the single most important thing that you can do is get to know your legislator and not just know their name and how to contact them get to know them so that when you walk in the room they recognize who you are make your opinions known make your opinions matter um we when we started all of this we didn't uh, you know i personally didn't know every single legislator i i knew my own and that was about it but as this process has sort of evolved there's almost not a single legislator that i i don't know <laughs> um and i think that's the most single most powerful thing that you can do on a state level federally it hasn't worked the same way that grassroots effort seems to only um matter at a state level um and maybe in this next year we're going to see that the same grassroots effort help push our cause on a federal level but um on a state level it's just simply reaching out to every pharmacist that you know every patient who's willing to reach out to their legislator and, and just bring some awareness to this issue that's great. Thank you. And Jay, I'm curious, what advice would you have for anyone out there uh, if they were planning to undertake uh, requests or any of the work that, that you've done? And Kevin, you as well, uh, what advice might you have for some of our listeners out there? Um, I guess I would say that, uh, one, you need to be very specific in what you ask, um, because whatever, whatever you ask is sort of what you'll get. So you need to be very specific um, in terms of, you know, what information you want. And I would also say that many times, you know, different states, they, they do charge for this information. So, you know, someone may have to pay for it. Um, I would say I've, I've paid quite a bit for, uh, you know, when you look at all the different information requests, um, be very specific. I also, I would, print everything out and try and keep track of it as best you can. Because, you know, I know for a while with me, I would sort of make these requests and, you know, be looking at it, thinking about it, paying attention to it. But then there would be, you know, maybe six months that would go by, you know, maybe during the legislative session in Florida or where I would be working on other things. Um, and, I, you know, I wouldn't pay attention to it. Then I would come back and I'd have to kind of like, you know, sift through everything. Um, so I'd say try and be as organized as you can and, you know, just sort of keep a, keep a logical process to it all and keep documentation and just keep asking questions. Yeah, I would say too, um, when you're facing these issues, whether it's the, um, you know, the overworked, understaffed pharmacies like we heard about in the New York Times article or whether it's under reimbursements causing, um, adverse patient selection or pharmacy uh, layoffs or closings or anything like that. Don't assume that there will be someone else that will carry your torch for you. Um, I at first thought, oh, well, certainly this is on 
my state associations radar, my national associations radar, et cetera, et cetera. And quickly I realized, you know, hey, I'm the one who understands this issue better than anyone else because I live this issue every single day. So don't wait for someone else to come along and carry you across the finish line. You know, you have to be, you are your best advocate for your cause. So don't be afraid to step up and say, wait a minute, this isn't right. And I'm going to do something about it. That's what I would say. That, that is a fantastic point. I'm sorry to jump in, Monique. Um, the, the last year we've kind of talked, um, PUT as a group, that, that's what our goal is. We want, we want every pharmacist to advocate for themselves, be their number one advocate. So that's an amazing point. Thank you. And I think that's the only way that we're ever going to get anywhere. And, and that's very much what PUT is here for to try to empower every one of us out there to advocate for yourself, to, to keep going at it. Jay, I think your point was brilliantly made. You know, keep, just keep going, just keep going. And clearly it is working where you are. I know there's a lot more, there's so much we could talk about in Florida and I, I hope that the two of you will come back to a future podcast. What a great discussion, everybody. Thank you so much. Uh, I'd like to thank our listeners out there for listening. And I would like to thank our guests, Amy Rogers from uh, Arkansas. Thank you so much for having me. I hope I get to come back after Arkansas goes to the Supreme Court in April to give you a full report. And Jay Wright from Cocoa, Florida. Yeah, thanks for having me. Um, I hope we can do it again. And Kevin Duane from Jacksonville, Florida. Thank you. And thank you, everybody. Yeah, thank you all again. So for everyone else, uh, tune into our next episode of the podcast next month. Uh, would like to follow us on social media or know more about us, you can find us on Twitter at TruthRx. Until next time, everyone, thanks for listening. Thank you for listening to the Pharmacy Podcast Network. If you enjoy the leading podcast network dedicated to the business and profession of pharmacy, please write us a review on Apple Podcasts and let us know which channel is your favorite. And remember, the pharmacist is the hub of healthcare.